Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control. We are confirming acquisition of your signal. You are live in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to episode 50 of Gardens of the Galaxy, the podcast for all of the sentient beings in the universe who have a passion for plants. I'm Emma the Space Gardener and I'll be your host as we explore gardening on Earth and beyond. It's a very exciting time for space plants as NASA has just started growing red robin tomatoes in veggie on the International Space Station. They won't be the first tomato plants in space, but this will be the first time that astronauts will be able to eat fresh, homegrown tomatoes. Anyone who's been listening to the show for any length of time will know that NASA doesn't just send seeds up to space to see how they grow. There's an immense amount of work that goes on at Kennedy Space Centre to test different crops and plant varieties to see which have the best chance of thriving in space. In today's show, I'm talking with Amy Padolf and Carl Lewis from the Fairchild Tropical Botanic Garden in Florida about Growing Beyond Earth, a citizen science project in which school students grow plants and collect data. The amazing thing about Growing Beyond Earth is that it feeds directly into NASA's ground-based research and influences which plants grow on the International Space Station. We'll be hearing from Carl and Amy in just a second, but first I would like to say a big thank you to all of my Gardeners of the Galaxy boosters. Every spaceship needs fuel to stay in orbit and Gardeners of the Galaxy is no exception. My rocket boosters support the show financially and there are several ways to do that. Just as important are my signal boosters who help me expand the Gardeners of the Galaxy community by following me on social media and liking, sharing my posts or by leaving reviews in their podcast apps. You can find out more about becoming a booster by visiting theunconventionalgardener.com forward slash boosters. Hi Amy, hi Carl, welcome to Gardeners of the Galaxy, it's great to have you on the show today. Hi Emma, thanks for having us. (laughs) Pleasure to be here, thank you. (laughs) So you're in sunny Florida and you're having lovely weather today compared to here in the UK where it is grey and overcast and very, very cold, so I'm pretty jealous about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But what we're here to talk about is your amazing citizen science project that you've been involved with with several years now, where students get to collect data about space plants for NASA, and it's called Growing Beyond Earth. So, Amy, would you like to start and tell me how Growing Beyond Earth came to be? Well, Growing Beyond Earth started back in 2014, and Carl and I learned about the research that was going on in the International Space Station, uh, led by Dr. Joya Massa and learned about how Dr. Joya Massa got her start. And it was, you know, really related to the teacher that she had grown up with and was really interested in plants, but also really interested in science. And it was her teacher that brought that information to her and got her excited about it, led her to get her degrees and all of those things and end up back at NASA. And so when we were hearing about Um, the work that was being done there, we realized that we have the opportunity to be able to be helpful in helping them identify different plant varieties. You know, as plant people, we come to the table with some knowledge that could be helpful. But in addition, we have this huge army of of students who are involved in our education programs who are hungry for this kind of interaction and opportunity to be able to not only grow plants, but contribute, like actively contribute to like real world science. And we had been doing some other citizen science projects and this was just the perfect opportunity for us to jump into another one. And so we reached out to the folks at NASA 
they invited us there for a tour. It was wonderful. We were excited. And then we explained to them what we could bring to the table. And they were excited about that. And that's really how this all started. Fantastic. Okay, so Carl, if you can jump in at this point and, and explain, if I was going to be a student growing beyond Earth, what would that look like for me? Yeah, well, what we provide to the, the students is a replica of the equipment that's on the International Space Station. Uh, so on the space station, there's a veggie growth chamber uh, that's designed for growing vegetables. It's a food production unit. Uh, and it's it's a very, very easy concept for, for everyone to understand. And for students, they're able to have a copy of that in their classroom. And uh, of course, everything that's done on the space station has to be tested many, many times on Earth before it goes into space. And it's just the kind of thing that's perfect for middle school students and high school students to do in their classroom. Uh, they get a kit that includes all the soil and the seeds and the pots and everything and the instructions. They're able to plant the seeds, measure the plants as they grow, and then figure out how much edible product comes out at the end and report all of that back to us in a giant spreadsheet, which we can analyze and share all the data with NASA. It's absolutely brilliant. And so this year in particular, what are the students getting to grow? Yeah, there are a couple of different experiments. For schools that have done the project before and the teachers and students are, are a bit experienced, um, they have a project growing kind of Chinese cabbage called mysome. Uh, and they're all growing the same variety of plant, but under different lighting conditions. Okay. And they're trying to find the, the best balance uh, between energy use and food production, finding what is the best light recipe, if you will, the best balance of red, blue, and green color uh, and intensity of those colors that produces the greatest amount of biomass for the least wattage. Uh, so that's one of the experiments. And then for the newcomers that are just coming into the program, we have a variety trial of herbs, just a number of different herb varieties that are just wonderful and fun to grow, um, but very important because those may become part of the astronaut diet in the future. There are a lot of nutritional characteristics that are attractive uh, to put herbs into the astronaut diet. Yeah, I can see how that would make a huge amount of difference because you get the impression that space food, while it's you know, they, they do the best they can. It can probably get a bit samey after a while. When you're up there for six months, you'd think, you know, they haven't got that much choice, have they? <laughs> okay, so Amy, Growing Beyond Earth, Growing Beyond Earth has had some really notable successes, hasn't it? Because plants that your students have worked on have been sent into space. Yes. Our students have tested about 180, maybe a little bit more than 180 different varieties of plants in the growth chamber. And over the years, 10 of those have been down selected by the folks at NASA to be tested in their lab at Kennedy Space Center. Of those, four of those have been sent to the International Space Station. Currently, one of those that has been tested through our program, Red Robin Tomatoes, was just recently sent up to the International Space Station to be grown. But we've also had uh, extra dwarf bok choy, dragoon lettuce, as well as these tomatoes. So it's really exciting. It is. And it must be quite something for your students to see the plants that they've been working with actually going to space and maybe being eaten by an astronaut. And, and that's the beauty of this citizen science project. And a lot of the citizen science projects that we do is that we're giving the kids the opportunity to contribute to real research, um, meet and, and actively have conversations 
with the scientists who are using that information, um, see the fruits of their labor and have it be, you know, a part of, of the future body of knowledge. So it's really great. So they understand the whole picture of their contribution to this research and also understand that there is no answer, you know, unlike some of the work that they do in school where the answers are in the back of the book or some answers have already been, you know, found, there is no answer. And so they're part of finding the solution to this. Yeah, I mean, what would I remember from my science experiments at school was you followed a procedure and you're expected to get the result that was in the textbook. And of course, that never happens. <laughs> but you're talking about something very different, actually participating in, in proper science, the kind of science that you would do if you became a scientist in your career, isn't it? Yeah, and it's really interesting because, like Carl said, the first trial, there are two trials throughout the program, and in the first trial, the students um, follow a prescribed research experiment, and this research experiment was designed um, in partnership with the scientists at NASA, and so they're following this prescribed research, they're collecting a, a whole bunch of data, um, and at the end of that trial, um, it lasts the first half of the school year, they analyze all of that data and they find, they look and see what has come from that. And then they're given the opportunity to develop an original research project that then they do in the springtime. So they write a proposal, they submit it to us, we review it, give them a little feedback. Um, and then in the second half of the year, they're running another trial of original research, different techniques, different varieties, different lighting, different growth mediums, different fertilizers. And then those research experiments and the results of that, they then present to the NASA scientists and administrators um, on a virtual symposium that we host every April. And a lot of those techniques and ideas that come out of that then go back into NASA's idea pool for the next round of experiments. So it's pretty remarkable, the full circle. It is. That's amazing. They must feel like they're really part of the NASA team and actually making a valuable contribution. That's awesome. I'm so jealous. I would have loved to do something like this when I was at school. <laughs> Okay, so Carl, maybe you can explain if there are people listening to the podcast, teachers listening to the podcast, how they might get involved if they fancy being part of Growing Beyond Earth? Yeah, uh, definitely go to our website, uh, fairchildgarden.org slash GBE is a great way to uh, just learn about the program. And we do have a sign up form so uh, teachers can sign up and, and get on a waiting list. And, uh, and the way it works is that we have grants that allow us to provide equipment to a certain number of schools. Uh, and there are ways that we can also uh, encourage schools to apply for their own grants. Uh, we've had some schools that have been able to start with what our grants can provide and then build up a whole whole lab, basically, of, <laughs> of eight units in their classroom uh, where they can have lots of students involved in lots of different research um, beyond what we provide. And we have at Grow Beyond Earth on Twitter, and uh, it's a great, great way to see what's happening in the classrooms right now. I mean, it sounds like there's a, a huge amount of support for the students that are participating in, in Growing Beyond Earth. Presumably, you have some kind of training for, for the teachers who are, are running this in their classrooms. We do provide training online, uh, and that's shared that we provide some of it, uh, but also we have specialists from NASA that, that uh, explain how this all fits into the big picture, which is very, very important, because then the teachers know who is going to be receiving the data, and then there are opportunities later on in the school year for the students to get online with those NASA specialists as well. Absolutely amazing. Uh, so Amy, I know that you're in the middle at the moment of collecting 
data of a different kind um, because you're running a mission patch competition aren't you for students to design a mission patch for one of NASA's I'll call it an adventure um, can you tell us about that right now we're in the process uh, we have a competition going on where the NASA folks are interested in having students that participate in Growing Beyond Earth and Beyond design the next mission patch for the current veggie project that's going on with the Red Robin Tomatoes on the International Space Station. So students are given the size and the you know, design template in order to design the next mission patch for this veg veggie experiment that's currently going on. So we have that one. And then again, in the spring, we'll have another one for the research that's going on in the advanced plant habitat, which is the larger, more advanced system that's on the International Space Station. And they're going to be running an experiment. And we're going to be hosting another mission patch competition where students can um, design the mission patch for that one as well. I am so looking forward to seeing the designs that come out of that because I do have a little bit of a, I'm a bit nerdy about mission patches as well as everything else about space. <laughs> the beautiful thing is that we had the opportunity for Growing Beyond Earth to create our own mission patch. And we've designed the mission patch and we'll send you a mission patch. <laughs> but the mission patch is the only mission patch that has extra dwarf bok choy on it. Um, <laughs> I'll have to take a closer look at it. And the beautiful thing is that the mission patch, uh, you know, a sticker version of the mission patch lives in the Greenworks lab at Kennedy Space Center now. It's on the wall there. <laughs> I've heard people mention the Greenworks Lab. I think um, I haven't seen it particularly, but I think it's where they do their experimentation, isn't it? Right. So the Greenworks Lab is where um, a lot of the NASA ground-based research is being done. And it's where the scientists are working to, to develop what is going to fly next. And so that where the data that the students collect is transferred to those folks that then pick and choose the pieces that they can then continue to test in their Greenworks Lab. It's just so amazing. <laughs> okay, so, Carl, question for you. Have you ever wanted to be an astronaut and go into space? Oh, uh, you know, when I was young, not so much. You know, it seemed, it seemed uh, pretty scary, the idea of being blasted off the, off the Earth. But then as, as we got more involved in, in the idea of plants in space, it's, it's become attractive. So now, now yes, I'd love to, to go up and grow some plants and, and be a space farmer. That would be fantastic. It does look like it's getting easier to go into space, so maybe one day we'll all have the chance. I hope so. Yeah. And if you were going to go into space and you could pack one plant into your hand luggage, what species would you choose and why? Okay, this is this is a real easy question. Uh, so ex, extra dwarf bok choy. It's the star of the Growing Beyond Earth mission patch, and it's the the plant that has grown very successfully in middle and high school classrooms all over. Uh, and it's the sort of plant that uh, it may not have the highest yield at the end, but it is the most reliable producer. Uh, so we found that with, with all of the different environments in the schools, some having warmer or cooler classrooms and more or less light and all the, all the different parameters, extra dwarf bok choy is just a solid performer uh, throughout. So it was, it was very attractive to NASA and it, it passed with flying colors in their down selection process at Kennedy Space Center. So it was flown on the space station, performed well on the space station. So we like to see that journey, but 
you know, we're botanists, so we're interested in the entire journey. And yeah. the wild progenitor of bok choy is from the Mediterranean region. And these are plants that traveled the Silk Road and have been selected for many different flavor characteristics and yeah. horticultural characteristics all the way through that journey. And this is just the next step in that journey. So we, we love love to be able to tell that longer story. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the brassica family is just so diverse, isn't it? It's it's hardly surprising that, that, they, that they would be the ones that are going to flourish in space. So if you had the chance to taste the bok choy, is it, is it going to be nice when we eat it in space? It is very nice. Yes, it's, a, it's, it's got great flavor. <laughs> How about you, Amy? Any desire to go into space? Um, I think like Carl, um, it has become quite attractive. I'm not going to lie. Jokingly or not, I did apply. I think Carl also did apply to be an astronaut, knowing far well that we weren't going to be, but we had to put in our applications. I was his reference and he was my <laughs> reference, I think. Yeah, definitely would love that opportunity to go there and see the earth from above. I think yeah. that would be magical. I think it would be great when more researchers have the opportunity to go into space. Because I mean, at the moment, becoming an astronaut, becoming a career astronaut is such a hard gig to get, isn't it? It's almost impossible. You know, there's been, what, 600 in the whole history of space flight or something like that. So, yeah, really tough gig to get that job. OK, so in an alternate universe where you were an astronaut, you, your application was accepted by NASA, you became an astronaut. What plant are you packing in your luggage? You know, I've thought about this a lot and knowing a couple of conditions that happen on the International State Station. One, you have, you know, very limited diet of food, right? Yeah. And then two, also because when you are in space, it feels like you have a head cold, so your taste is muted. Um, I'd want something with very strong flavor that you can add on to the processed diet that's on there. Absolutely. So I would probably say... I like the idea of an herb that you can add to the food that's already there to make it even better. So I like the idea of maybe a basil, um, a really strong, fragrant basil would be really great because in addition to not only being able to put it on the food that exists on there and be able to taste it, it also, I think the, the smell, I think the astronauts talk about there's a particular smell on the International Space Station I don't know what that is, but I think the <laughs> smell on the International Space Station, I think something like a basil would be a nice addition because you can like release that smell and you know have something that brings you back to the planet Earth and, you know, um, connects you back to home. So yeah. that's probably what I would bring with me. <laughs> I think I can't remember quite what Scott Kelly described it as. I'm sure he said it was something like it smelled like a prison. But if you can imagine, you know, a tin can that's been sealed for the last 20 years and nobody can crack a window, you can kind of imagine what it might smell like, can't you? Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I would say basil because I'm British. But I mean, basil is one of those plants where if you just even touch it just slightly, it just this cloud of smell just envelops you, doesn't it? It's like amazing. Um, mint is another good one for that. So maybe we can see mint on the space station sometime soon. So I'm assuming you're looking, you're um, anticipating the results of, of this year's herb trial then and then really look and see, you know, which variety of basil you're going to take into space with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And then just, I, I think to, to make the, the broader point, uh, Emma, and uh, as you were describing the how hard it is to get to be an astronaut now, and we we hope that'll that'll become easier. Um, here in Florida, we see it, the space economy, the aerospace economy is is growing very fast. 
Um, we see so many more opportunities coming, and we just want to make sure our students are ready for those opportunities. Uh, we, we see this as a limited window to get <laughs> students prepared for, uh, yeah. for those, those careers. And, uh, and that's one of the great things about Growing Beyond Earth. Yes, because I mean, in, in terms of the space industry, the astronauts are really just the tip of the iceberg, aren't they? There's so many people in, I mean, they're not even supporting roles. Uh, you know, there are so many people working in the space industry and the astronauts wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for everybody else. One of the phrases that people use is really whatever skills you have, there's a place for you in the, sp in the space industry. So, you know, if you, for whatever reason, you don't want to be an astronaut, you can't be an astronaut, then, you know, you don't have to give up on dreams of, of being part of space. It's for everybody. And, and students can do it now. They can, they can actually contribute, and, and they are contributing. It, uh, this is what is so amazing for, for Growing Beyond Earth, really making a contribution while you're still at school. I mean, it's just fabulous. Amy, Carl, thank you for coming on the show today and telling us about Growing Beyond Earth. I will put the links that have been mentioned in the show notes for everybody who wants to get more involved or learn more about the project and follow along on Twitter. So it's been brilliant to meet you and to talk to you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Emma. Thank you for having us. Yeah, and, and thank you so much for getting everybody in, involved and, and thinking about growing plants in space. It's it's just uh, it's a uh, great to see this. <laughs> thank you. Bye thank bye. you. Bye bye. Thanks again to Amy and Carl for coming on the show to talk about Growing Beyond Earth, which is such a fantastic opportunity for students to get involved in space plant research. I'll put the links to the Growing Beyond Earth website and Twitter in the show notes, which you'll find at theunconventionalgardener.com. That's it for this episode, so all that's left for me to do is to wish you happy holidays. I'll be back next year for more space gardening adventures. Thanks again to my boosters for supporting the show, and don't forget you can sign up to the Gardens of the Galaxy newsletter for new episode alerts and bonus astrobotany content. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Orbital Gardens, this is Mission Control, confirming termination of your signal. We have activated the auto kettle, and you are T-3 minutes. Mission Control out.